Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. How you doing? Welcome. Welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. Yeah, he is. He is indeed. And we are back again uh, for another episode. We see we took a week off there because we I had some work stuff. Uh, we have some other stuff coming uh, up. So I think we're, you know, so we'll be off next week unless I decide to just record a solo show and make Ryan release it. Uh, but more than likely, we're going to be off next week. <laughs> that was my that was my mouth speaking before my brain registered what it was saying. Um, but, but, you still um, owe the movie show a solo episode. I do, I do, and maybe since uh, I was responsible for us taking last week off, maybe I'll uh, I'll put that out. Who knows? We... Maybe I'll just sit here like this this week, and this will be the solo episode that you didn't even know that you were going to be making. <laughs> um oh you know what oh yeah let me hold on a second i get to uh check off i'm looking at our master list and i get to uh i get to cross out one of the things that we've done what's that studio logos oh yeah Yeah. and title sequences yeah so i yeah we didn't really do that we just sort of stuck our foot in the shallow end of the pool a little bit but all right, well, I'll leave it. I'll leave it up then, if we ever want to do a deep dive into studio logos. But that was uh, so. That was the last. Yeah, the last show was us attempting to talk about um, like a, just a whole hodgepodge of stuff. Just that touch we... on a few things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And this show is a is a just show up and start talking and see if anything cool comes out of our mouths. That's yeah. This, this will is also very new be for a us. First, because we didn't we don't really have a set topic today, but. Yeah, literally when um, the very first time uh, we, when Ryan and I are like, okay, we're going to do a podcast, let's just, uh, so we got together and we just hit record, we were sitting on the couch at at your place and we hit record um, and we talked for like two hours, uh, but even then we sort of had a set, like, here's what we're going to talk about. Well, I had at least a couple (laughs) things in the back of my mind. I guess I got a couple things in the back of my mind today too, so it's not Mm -hmm. nothing. We're not completely disrespectful and like well let's see if everyone will show up and just listen to us yeah. to do that's say true. nothing that we, that's not how we want this to be but you know and if this sucks it, it must not suck if you're listening mm-hmm. to it but but if you're not then that little phrase i just mm-hmm. said will mean nothing because you won't right. be listening to it you won't be so, listening to it we'll go oh this was bad this was a mistake. This was a bad idea. But last week was fun. Studio logos, like I say, I don't. It, I hate to say, oh, don't cross it off your list. But I do hope literary adaptations, cameos. I hope those are all things that we revisit mm-hmm. from time to time. Actually, rather than yeah. just move on from, because they were really just 
let's just talk a little bit about these. Maybe even today, if we run out of stuff, we could talk a little bit more about a couple of them. They're, they're things that, they're topics that are interesting and that endure. They're, they're big. They're as big as yeah. every movie ever made. Not every movie has a studio logo. Pearl Harbor does not have a studio logo at the beginning of it. It's very unusual, but, and very disorienting. Yeah. Matter of fact, I remember sitting there in the theater. I've got a couple great Pearl Harbor stories. Well, did I say a couple? Yeah, two. One, (laughs) no logo. So what's happening? Oh, this is how the movie starts. Really weird. I mean, the, the, it's, you know, it's, Pearl Harbor would have been Touchstone, I believe. So it's a, it was a Disney movie, but I think it was Touchstone and a, a Bruckheimer movie. Yeah, yeah. So there would have been a couple of logos <laughs> that we should have saw. And that it's weird that that they also get, I mean, people maybe don't love them or love like get into them or whatever like I do, but uh, but but they do get you ready for the film they just give you that moment to breathe and to shut up and to do all the the, the couple little things before you dive right into a story like that and pearl harbor not having a logo at the beginning of it it was an artistic decision but it's a bad one it's like it's a it's a bad one and then of course the other one could say it was the first of many uh questionable artistic (laughs) decisions of that movie it's weird. I, Pearl Harbor, when I first saw the trailer for Pearl Harbor, which is really just, and this even this moment in the film is really amazing where it just shows the Japanese tigers, you know, just like flying over normal parts of Hawaii, you know, like there's people playing a softball game and somebody's doing the laundry yeah. and stuff. And um, I remember thinking, I remember seeing that and going, oh, I want to watch this right now. This looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. And, and that part of it, I mean, we, you know, Michael Bay knows how movies are supposed to look. And, and even at some points he inherently knows how they're supposed to feel, but he doesn't uh, like Joel's idea about his solo show. He doesn't bring any th- thought really to it outside of what it is technically and mm-hmm. you feel that and it, he didn't write that script he didn't write any of his scripts but you can just feel a director who just runs full steam into sort of shitty cliched writing and and d- doesn't have a sensor for it like just doesn't have any sort of built-in thing that says this lacks integrity right case in point joel my second pearl harbor story pearl harbor story there's a moment in Pearl Harbor, and it's been a long, long time since I've seen Pearl Harbor, but I just know that this is true. There's a moment in it, and I'm bad with numbers and dates, so Joel, you'll have to remind me the date that the that the that which will live in infamy, except with me apparently, happened. December seventh, nineteen forty-one. December seventh. So on a. A Japanese aircraft carrier, or maybe it's a submarine, I'm not sure, but in a control room of one of the ships that's coming towards us to start America's involvement in World War II, there's a a page-a-day calendar hanging on the wall in English that says December 6th on it. And as this scene happens with the with this Japanese commander and stuff, you know, basically an exposition machine. This is what's happening militarily in the movie. At the end of it, somebody, some crewman leans over and 
rips off the six and it says December 7th on it. <laughs> and a couple seats down from me, this old lady who was watching Pearl Harbor with me and my friend goes, <gasps> <laughs> and I remember thinking, because this is well into the movie now, I remember thinking, hey, good, this movie is for that lady. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, hey, it yeah. found its audience here. Because the rest of us were kind of, yeah. what? You know what I mean? Remember the story that Ben Affleck tells when he gets back? He's like, when he finds out that his best friend and his, his beloved are like together now while he's been gone, presumed dead. And he tells his story. And an actor telling a story is a cool thing. And Ben Affleck's pretty, I think, a pretty good actor. And he, he mm -hmm. does this whole thing where he's like, yeah, you know, we was shot down in France. And then I escaped a camp and joined the French resistance. And then I did this and I did that. And I did this. And then... And the only thing that would keep me alive was you, baby, or something, you know. Yeah. Just the dumbest war cliche ever. But I remember at the end of that speech, I leaned over to my friend and I go, geez, that sounds like a pretty good movie. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's we should have made that movie. This movie's uh -huh. stupid. <laughs> um so, you know, a little yeah. Pearl Harbor. When in doubt, there's things you can talk about. Pearl Harbor is a good one. Pearl Harbor is a good barometer for whether you're going to like a critic or not. It's Because most critics aren't in love with it. Mm -hmm. But the way they're not in love with it, it, it you can kind of read their thing. The, uh, another really good one, a, mo a movie every critic hated, was um, Battlefield Earth. And Battlefield Earth... Right. Travolta and L. Ron Hubbard's Battlefield Earth is well, the great thing about the reviews for that is that's to a reviewer that's a a gift on a silver platter. Here's this yeah. movie that's as wrongheaded and stupid and hilariously stupid, and it really is a uh, Battlefield Earth really is a so bad it's good movie. I can see how if. At the time, if you thought it might be good, like you'd be disappointed or whatever, but you can pop it in, and even at two hours and twenty minutes, that movie is super enjoyable because of how just totally crazy stupid it is. It's 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 wonderful in that way. In fact, because mm -hmm. it's because even though the bad guys, the Cyclos, are uh, Forrest Whitaker and John Travolta, are a crazy, over the top, cartoonish. Um, comedic villains, if you will. Mm -hmm. They really are not scary. They're just super stupid and incompetent. And they're just loud and they yell at each other and they're terrible. Um, the good guy's side of the story um, being held down by... Who's the kid? Barry in, Pepper. The, Barry yeah, Pepper. who's really good at doing it. Like, just keeping a straight face throughout that movie, which if if he were hamming it up you know what I mean? Or if you were being even slightly cheesy in it, I, that film wouldn't be watchable. You would feel the... Like, if you were doing what Travolta was doing, you'd feel the the whole facade would break. But he... he Pepper just really bravely sticks to his yep. guns in that film. And as a result, all these years later, as dumb as it is, as bad as it looks, it, it's something about it that's so crazy. It's so crazy stupid. It's like on another level. And if you ever read a review by a critic who had to write a review on Battlefield Earth, that review should be the most biting, funniest thing that they got to write. It should at least be mm -hmm. in that group for them. Yeah. And so you can 
you know, you can test them and test us out by how we respond to that. You know, it's, I should set like a hundred thousand years in the future, some impossible time, some really, some L. Ron Hubbard just threw a it number is the out year. there. This is the IMDb tag on it. It is the year 3000 AD, and the Earth is lost to an alien race of cyclos. Humanity is enslaved by these gold-thirsty tyrants who are unaware (laughs) that their man-animals are about to ignite the rebellion of a lifetime. Nice. That's a great synopsis, actually. Um, So good. So 2,000 years in the future. Either way, if, if... I'll tell you, put a Volkswagen out in your driveway, go to sleep for 2,000 years, wake up in the morning and try and drive it to work. It's not going to fly. It's just not going to go. Even if nobody touches it, even if no one comes near it, there's no chance that thing survives in functioning order. And of course, the end of the the final, the big action scene, the assault at the end of Battlefield Earth, spoiler alert for Battlefield Earth, is they they find they're in the Colorado at the Air Force Academy they find all these F-15s or whatever and they use they they quickly learn how to fly them like in a half an hour or so I don't know it does it's not mm-hmm. like a week I don't know how long it takes and then they they use those to attack and that's just that's so I mean I get it it's just a dumb fantasy adventure movie but it's so unthinkably impossible and stupid. And if that's your approach to stuff, you know, and poor uh, Roger Christian, who directed that, he's a really accomplished art director in, in movies throughout the years, but a pretty crappy film director. But even he sort of had that hijacked from him in mm-hmm. a way, uh, from the army of uh, this sort of competing army. It's like a competition of stupidity, the... The yeah. Scientologist producers and the big Hollywood suits, all of whom were involved in this thing, tugged and pulled uh, here when quality movie was way over there. And, and it just made it just totally stupid. But I like Battlefield Earth because, you know, I said it the other the other day when we were watching the Super Bowl, I guess that's a long time ago now. <laughs> Valentine's Day. day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and and people really enjoyed this, so I don't want to keep harping on Cocaine Bear, but I just saw that and I remember everybody's like, ooh, you know, and I was like, ah, I just, I trot out this phrase. You've probably heard me say it on the show before. I said, I feel like nobody who ever set out to make a bad movie ever made a good one by accident. And yep. and that's sort of where my heart is with just that kind of material. So I'd expect that I couldn't let go and have fun with something like that, which is why I haven't seen it and probably won't. But it is but available Battlefield now to Earth, stream on Peacock. Yeah, but Battlefield yeah. <laughs> Earth, which is much worse in every way, and everyone hated it. <laughs> it's not like it's, but it it because they set out to make a good movie, and because there's just several people in it, even the people hamming it up earnestly wanted to make a great summer blockbuster with these ideas at their core and failed like it's failure makes me sympathize with it in some weird way whereas succeeding at making something cheesy and shitty seems seems like not something to be celebrated (laughs) right it's just a different way i mean it's not a totally different way of looking at the world but that's how i've always viewed these things it's like 
you, snakes on a plane could be great, but you had to try and make it good. You you let the crazy idea let yourself off the hook, and so it's not good. So yes, so you don't you know you don't have a chance. I can't remember the director that was that was supposed to direct that. He came in and saved the the name, like Justin Lin or something, or I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody who directs stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to. I believe it's a uh, a Japanese national director, but he 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 was the one who came in and said, "Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that." And he was the one who, you know, Sam Jackson was like, "Well, we're going to change the name to something." And he's like, "No, the name has to stay. The name's the." The name's the whole thing. The name's the marketing campaign. It's everything. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't change the name. I'm not doing it if you change the name. So like, okay, okay, we'll keep the name. Whatever's fine. But he wanted to make a good movie. His whole approach to it was to make a scary ass monster movie where these people are trapped on a plane with these killer things, and the the people in in charge just didn't understand that approach to a corny idea. So he eventually took a walk and it was directed by much more, uh, you know, a a competent B movie and TV movie hack who just, again, leaned into the crappiness of the idea and worse. They, the studio wanted it to be PG 13. And then everyone, Mm -hmm. it was one of those films where everyone complained. And in this case, it was like, well, it's not going to be, it's not like some big family movie, so let's make it rated R. So they're these weird, like, naked and bloody inserts put into the thing that are all mm-hmm. basically terrible. It, they yeah. didn't set out to make a good movie, so they never could have made a fun, bad one. That You have to try. I, I just really believe that lack of effort is in there. And yeah. and. And again, uh, not to bring it back to Cocaine Bear, which is a similar kind of movie, but a very popular and successful one. There must be something better made about that, clearly. Mm -hmm. Although Elizabeth Banks' first movie was terrible, the Charlie's Angels film. She's a smart performer and and talks about storytelling in a very intelligent way. So I think that intelligence can save the day, but I still feel like you really did set out to to let us off the hook to not to other than to giggle and to jump. Like we'd not ask to do anything else here or invest anything more here. And I just feel like I have to be asked to do that. And battlefield earth and even Pearl Harbor, man, just, you can line up some of these worst movies. They're, they're asking, they're at least asking you to do that and putting themselves through the paces of trying to make you feel something. It does make a difference. I really believe that in my heart. So, uh, and, those runny, and runny I don't you. feel like a Battlefield yeah. Earth or Pearl Harbor deep dive is coming. So, no. hey, listener, no. what do you think about Pearl Harbor and Battlefield and Battlefield Earth, Earth and snakes on are the plane? You, are you team cyclos or are you team man animals? <laughs> it's a it's a choice every <laughs> bu- young person has to make at one point in their lives, and Truth. I think Battlefield Earth might surprise you. (laughs) Uh, How you can really think you're on, you know, (laughs) Team Man Animal, and yet sort of kind of Uh, mess it up at every stage. We know who's Team Cyclo in that. There's no doubt about that. Correct. Um, uh, Ronnie Yu was originally. Ronnie Yu. Sorry, I'm I'm getting my 
you know, my my yeah. Asian director names mixed up. I really apologize for that. But yes, yeah. Ron, it's worth pointing out that Ronnie Yu is a high energy, let's go for it and do it filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And and it just, that film in every way, like it, it was the perfect match that it would have benefited from him staying on and them just sort of leaving him alone with the, this, even if the script was the same, I think he would have made it genuinely scary and and tougher around the edges film that 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 could have lived up to that fun idea of, of what it's called. You know, I probably my, my point was it critically the audience out there. It feels like Cocaine Bear actually actually fulfills that sort of gonzo promise. And that's yeah, that's neat, at least I'm a, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, cocaine bear. Yeah, cocaine bear available to stream on Peacock uh, exclusively. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Cocaine from N- from NBC Universal. Yep. Uh, Warner Speaking Brothers of streaming. To, okay. real, real quick, Warner, Warner Warner Brothers. Real quick, still has. If you type in battlefieldearth.net, yeah, Warner Brothers still has a has a has a kind of a holding slide with information about the movie still on it so they should yeah they may make us they may do a reboot someday yeah so when you you know so if you're like looking at your uh vhs copy of battlefield earth and and you're like oh hey here it looks as battlefieldearth.net i wonder yeah it's still there folks go and uh watch clips of uh of barry pepper speaking of warner brothers you want to? I'm gonna let you do something. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you play the Ryan's Video Corner theme. <gasps> Ryan's Video Corner. It's really I long for this little, yeah. for this little short <laughs> thing we're gonna talk about, but it's we haven't played it in a long time, and it it really is fantastic. So let's all uh, listen to yes, it together. As soon as uh, as soon as I can find it here, uh, I did not order any uh, anything here. Um, Let's see. That's not it. That's not it. Uh, that's not the one. Um, that is not the one that is going to help us. Uh, I can play then, it, but then only the audio people will hear it. The video yeah, people no, no, will no. Uh, stare at what? us looking at the screen. This makes me very frustrated that I cannot find it because uh, normally I have these things uh, like right here and uh-huh. clearly labeled. We, um, we were, we've been honest about what this show is from the start, and I did spring that on you. it's not this one based on the incredible true story no that is literally me filling time (laughs) um (laughs) uh it is not uh let's see it is not this one uh who am i um why where is it wait a minute man ryan's video card okay ready here we go Video, it's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Action, adventure, horror, comedy, drama, suspense, romance, great entertainment, always a great value. Right? That was worth the wait. That was absolutely worth the wait. And don't you, uh, don't you dare tell me otherwise, listener.
Uh, we talked about this on the show before, but it's worth mentioning again that the usually uh, totally plays it straight Rob Dunkelberger uh, in answer to a question Joel asked on the show as to who sang that video, it's what you want to watch thing at the end there, um, wrote in this big long explanation of who the person was and stuff. And it was really, first of all, because of the <laughs> yeah. source, you just believe it. I mean, why would... Yep. Rob, why would Rob lie about such a thing? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That is not within his character. And and the other thing is, it just it's it was really it really sounded like he knew what he was saying and that this was some sort of thing. <laughs> and of course, mm-hmm. we thought, oh well, we'll share that with everybody. But then we didn't because we forgot or were lazy mm-hmm. or who the hell knows what. <laughs> Maybe Joel tried but couldn't find it. <laughs> it's not impossible. It's happened before. Um. And then, whatever, years later, <laughs> when we're just talking off the cuff, off the thing, I'm like, oh, you know, you, blah, blah, blah. You you, you knew who that person and you was knew or whatever. That person was. And he's like, no, that was just me pranking you and seeing if I could s- give you some false information that you would read on the show. Oh, my God. That's awesome. And we were saved by just lying to everybody and being pranked <laughs> by Rob just by our own sort of lackadaisical incompetence so it does show you kids don't you know try hard at school but don't try too hard you you really can sort of avoid some issues uh by just laying back in the weeds every once in a while so indeed indeed all right Uh, video so warner brothers archive so a couple of good things that are good news one thing and i hope this means a disc comes but discs are really just for me and rob and Really, just me and Rob at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it uh, uh, high definition version of Martin Scorsese's, not Chazy. Scorsese. Yeah, not Scorchesey, but um, Scorsese uh, or Scorsese. Um, is showing up his his version of the 1974 film Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which is one of his very best films. Um, Not one of those most flamboyant. In fact, it's in the debate of least flamboyant um, Martin Scorsese film. Um, Is on uh, Turner Movie Classics in a high definition form that you can get on demand. And it, it... it it's not first first of all it's not a visual splendored feast or whatever it's it, but it's an early 70s movie that in its sort of pan and scanned gray soup version that's existed really all these years is the only one you could really watch it's it's just it's back to being a really lovely looking film and and uh, Ellen Bernstein and, and Chris Christopherson like it's a really really great human story um, the likes of which uh, we saw, we still see every once in a while, which is kind of neat. We saw that film that um, with the controversial Oscar nomination in it, you know, uh, um, Alice, hmm, I can't remember what yeah. it's called. Sorry. Alice doesn't live here anymore. It was that kind of movie. Like it's just a, it's a quiet personal film. And it was a really interesting choice for him to do around that time. And I love it. And I think if you're looking, if, you know, if you're willing to travel back to 1974 and watch a movie that might bore your children, almost certainly will. 
Um, it's mm-hmm. still, I still just think it's it's worth seeking out. It looks great. I'm really enamored with it. Amazon had it for a while, but I think it's, I think as things like Joel said, you know, like like NBC Universal with with and Peacock with Cocaine Bear. I think that now that things are, uh, just siloing. Um, yeah, I mean that's the term. I the word I was like proprietorized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's the that's even a word, yeah. but I think you get what I'm saying. Um, it's I think it's on basically in the Turner network and it, within the Warner family to to stay. Yeah. And yet I think it's something that HBO Max wouldn't now, especially now that they're run by the idiot Discovery people, would not yeah. find a value to use uh, bandwidth on. But it's great. It's a great film. And the other one that is coming to disc officially, also by Martin Scorsese, about a decade later, is After Hours. Oh, get out. That's awesome. And After Hours is the same. It's like he's a renowned filmmaker. Both of these films were, I mean, neither of them were monster hits or anything, but both of them were, were really well regarded at the time that they appeared on the scene. Um... And just haven't, just have just, they're just, what you know, there are those things. I have a whole list of them, but these are two that have been on them consistently throughout the years. It's like, where are these? Uh, you know, wh- what, at least, at least take the, the videotape scan or the laser disc scan and just give us a properly matted, you know, widescreen version of that. That's, I would, even that would be a huge improvement over what we're dealing with here and what we've yeah. been asked to watch. And but these are really uh, after hours is, is is not a Warner archive Warner. It was an Orion film, I want to say. So it, it so it was it was licensed out. So Warner Brothers at the time, but not really anymore. So it was licensed out to Criterion with some neat supplements that I know have already been done that I've watched for ages ago. And after hours, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Is the story of a this waitress in the Southwest who's just making a go as a single mom. And, and that's the, that's it. That's the movie, you know? So, okay. Not a lot of high stakes. There's no jets to learn how to fly or cyclos to defeat, but it's really, really great. And, and really outstanding performance by one of the best a- actors of her generation. It might be her best performance. She's great in a lot of things. Um, whereas After Hours, it's got sort of a parade of people you recognize, but no real big stars in it. It stars Griffin Dunn in his best on-screen performance. And Griffin's... It's, a- it's got a ton of names in it that like you're like, oh my God, yeah. But you're yeah, right. Yeah. There's not like any... There's no like murderer's row, but it is. It's Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, uh, Linda Fiorentino, Terry Garr, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, yeah. uh, Bronson Pinchot is in it. Yep, uh, yep. Yeah, so it's like all these people <clears throat> that you rec- you recognize their names. But and it's, Marin, it's on the Tom. list. It's not for kids... So it's sidesteps some things that would make it ideal, but it's on the list of, to me, the most quintessentially 80s movies. It really does live in the Reagan 80s, like in a way that, that, that it, because of its sort of dreamlike and absurdist nature, it, it has this ability to achieve. Um, it's a dark comedy, which I don't normally like. It's about a guy who gets, you know, has a strikes up just a dude 
who works at an ad agency or something or some some place the office an ordinary an ordinary word processor that's what word. That, that he's disguised that's right that's because pincho is he is seen as him showing him how the word processor work and he's like oh that's basically it that's how the movie starts and bronson's like okay thanks uh yeah he goes well if you have any questions you know ask me and he's like yeah boy i hope i'm not doing this for very long this this sucks you know or whatever and and you can kind of see the eh, i guess what i do mm-hmm. does suck and then he just sort of goes back to doing it like it's it's not a what it doesn't suck it's it's yeah it is these subtleties and all these exchanges done and this is interesting to watch and it's necessary because this film gets so out of hand crazy by the time it's over it gets just bonkers crazy which is fun he he's by the end of it he's running from a mob of angry people you know what i mean like it's this it's this dark descent into this sort of you know neon lit mid 80s abyss of of manhattan essentially yeah and uh but you know, it starts with that simple moment and the simple like conversation that he has with everybody's sort of pixie dream girl of choice at the time, Rosanna Arquette, who just at a at a diner is just talking to him about books, and she gives him she ostensibly, but in a clever way, sort of gives him her number by giving her giving him her roommate's number, who her roommate sells these little things, and he, you know. Whatever. So, and of course, he's he's transfixed by Rosanna, and nobody used Rosanna Arquette's uh, seductive and abrasive powers as better than Martin Scorsese did in this film and in his New York Stories film uh, Life Lessons. If you've never seen Life Lessons, New York Stories is pretty weak. The Coppola film isn't very good, and I don't like the Woody Allen film at all. But the Life Lessons is one of the greatest short films maybe ever. It's really, really good, and she and it's it's it she is largely to do with that because she really is, she really is that infuriating ex girlfriend that you still love but that you wish you could be free of, and you can't be, and 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 she again plays it straight and it works marvelously. She does something similarly brilliant in this, because it's it's it but it's that's a film where visually it's really it's it's done simply and it was made very very quickly while scorsese was trying still to set up uh, last temptation of christ so his he was really just came in and made this thing but everyone who worked on it said you know it was really neat because it wasn't the it wasn't it was a little different it wasn't the mad genius coming in and Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna, you know, order. He was really like seeking to be collaborative and get everybody's ideas, and to just, oh, well, let's just do this. You know, hey, we blocked off these two streets of New York, so let's add this stuff. Let's just do weird stuff. Yeah. It has that zany quality to it. Griffin's fantastic in it, and he's a filmmaker in his own right, a pretty good one. So he, he, he in the supplements and stuff, he talks about the experience in this fantastic way. One of my favorite actors to listen to talk about uh, remembering stuff, my, my absolute favorite is probably Keith Gordon from Christine and Jaws mm-hmm. 2 and Dress to Kill, which I don't even like, but just listening to Keith... Like he, the way he tells a story is so cool, and Griffin has that exact same quality. So, 
Um, that's been streaming too in high def, so I don't know where on that one, but I, I really do know that you can go out and check that out. Every time these things that really aren't going to sell thousands and thousands of copies make it to disc, it's because there's been a restoration made for streaming, for broad a broadcast version, essentially. So... So I'm really, really, as from a video corner standpoint, you haven't heard from us in a while. And this is, these are both pretty nerdy, you know, like art house films kind of. They're not really art yeah. house films, but because they were the mainstream films of their day. But I think that the films today that they compare to are, are purely, you know, off to the side festival films, if you will. Yeah. But I think that's great. It is neat to go back to 1984 or whatever it was and and watch a movie that that's not you know Gremlins or you know what I mean that's not that sort of kitty movie that we're all in love with even the bad ones from that era. It's great to watch oh, like a really good movie that's also trying to be really funny and and, and entertaining which it is. So Alice doesn't live here Very anymore, cool. and by a renowned filmmaker, uh, and and After Hours, both available uh, soon or now even for one of them. After Hours is yeah. After Hours you can you can uh, it says it's available on HBO Max, which apparently is now just going to be called Max. Max. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a that's okay. I just it's fine. I it's come just, to HBO yeah. for the HBO man. Yeah, you do. I don't come for the the chef competitions. I don't come for the Shark Week. Like I just, I, I that's a brand that I'm fairly the Warner Brothers HBO brand is one that I'm pretty loyal to, and I'm so I'm not super happy that it's been invaded by it. And it it's weird because it's it's a merger, but because Discovery is the make it on the cheap money maker and they're the ones with, with that don't have cash flow issues they're right. the ones that are sort of in charge of all this now and that may change you know ever we all remember when warner brothers was taken over by aol and the aol people did not last long and eventually it went back to being what it was yeah. uh this that won't happen in this case i don't think but it but it there i am hoping there will be some equaling out you know i really mm -hmm. sad to see things like you know, prestige things like Westworld, like just sent off to yeah, just like oh, it's wait, still yeah. out there, but now it's with commercials and stuff. Like it's just mm -hmm. it's been diminished greatly, and, and it's that it that bums me out. Those sorts of decisions is like you yeah. Um, but hey, it's it's if it's streaming after hours, it mm -hmm. can't be entirely evil. You know, I want to, yeah, I want to, you know, I, I'll, I, we'll, we'll, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Am I going to see, uh, am I going to see, uh, Ben and Aaron Napier from hometown on the final season of Barry? I should, I, you know, I hope not. No, you're not. Um, and you're yeah. not. A matter of fact, one of the yeah. big edicts in their defense, the discovery, uh, CEOs and such, one of their, uh, in defense of them, one of their big things was, you know, we're gonna we're gonna start to compartmentalize this stuff. HBO t original programming is award winning, and it's mm -hmm. it is prestige television. You know, even the stuff even the stuff that's not super popular, 
it's you know it's it's high quality people making really high quality stuff and we want it to we want that wing of us to be that and we want Warner Brothers pictures to be DC movies and to be the monster movies and to be this sort of great thing we want to kind of put everything back in its place and they're embracing the good things about the different divisions of of WB and Time Warner and the different publishing divisions and stuff. So I, that some good might come of that, but the reality right. is that Max is still going to be this dumping ground for this really this very tug and pull sort of mm-hmm. different kind of content and and how that all lives comfortably with each other or how one loses out at the expense of the other will be de- will definitely be interesting to see. And it does. I'm not uh, contradicting you, Joel. It does fill me with dread, <laughs> truly. <laughs> but but I think that sort of thing where it's like, let's use this to promote that. Like, I really think, I think it's the, I think they really, from the HBO content, they really want the opposite of that. They want it to be doing its thing and really focusing on it, what it's, what it's good at and what it delivers mm-hmm. to a fairly captive audience, you know, more more dragons, you know, more, yeah. let the, let's really get into the stuff that we have here that people want to see that we know we're good at and do that. And that's, yeah. that could result in, in good works. I hope I just, I, I said all along streaming will be the bane of quite a bit of legacy entertainment that will have no place else to live once it's abandoned. And, and that's not totally the case with this. You can still go watch Westworld, but, and other shows that they did the same thing to, but what a, it's that one, like, just what a weird one to pick. I don't love that show, but it, it's really takes chances and it's really, it yeah. really does all the things that you want and an exciting, really smart thing to be and to have it, to have it be like, oh, you know, now it's like a, uh, to be thing or whatever. I don't remember where it went, but it just bums me out. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, Westworld. Westworld doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't, and it's sad. Westworld. Why did HBO remove Westworld? Well, I just said I knew. I know the whys yeah. of it, not yeah, so much right. the where. Listen, Internet, Ryan just told you. So now, you know. Um, yeah, geez, this is saying that the you can watch it. It's pretty much only available on Prime Video that you have to pay for. Oh, really? Well, no, well. I thought they put it someplace where you can absolutely. Now you don't even have to like someplace where you don't even have to subscribe. Mm. But again, if you don't have to pay and you don't have to subscribe, then what do you, why, why are, does it exist? It's not to provide you the great content you want. It's to provide you with advertising, targeted marketing. And mm-hmm. that's where I believe it is. And But we don't have to look that up for people. You, yeah. The jury's out on Westworld. It's over. It was cut a season short. And it really got complicated to the point of being almost impossible to follow somewhere in there. And it's not like you can follow it. It's not that kind. It's not that kind of complicated, but it's it 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 really did seem to lose track of it. We seemed to reinvent itself into something. It wasn't a couple of times. And that's, that's a difficult thing for a show to do. That show felt like a limited series and probably should have stayed one. And I think if it did, it would have been 
much beloved. You were right. It's Tubi. It is Tubi. I was right. Yep. Honey, oh, our movie's coming out this week. Good for you, dear. But it's on Tubi. Oh, that's too bad. And that is the story of Tubi. Yep. And that's oh, uh, Ryan's yeah. video corner for the day. Ryan's video corner. God, I'm, I'm really happy. I, I was like, oh my God, I please don't tell me I accidentally deleted it off the soundboard here. That would have that would have crushed me a little bit. I just send it to you again. No. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. No need to be crushed. No need to be crushed. But it was nice to hear it. There's a short version that we normally play at the end, but uh well, let's not go look for that. Um I don't have no that I you don't, don't even have, have that? that at all. Yeah. There's just a that. video, it's what you want to watch just by itself. So that it, to tag the end, you know. We're oh, gonna do yeah. Oh, when we first conceived of this show, we were going to do it like one of those sports debate shows, you know, with like horns going off or <laughs> and just stuff constantly happening, like uh, what, like yeah. the like the Kramer show, you know, that we yeah, sort of mock when we do our sell, stock sell, market or yeah, it's gonna yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's gonna be all it, all that all that stuff. We said in an effort to make our podcast as podcasty as possible. And we still do a little bit of it, but it's not obviously. Mm -hmm. It we just don't we just never got too much into that, and we didn't segment this much. We keep saying, "Well, man, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about Aeon Flux, it's gonna take the whole two hours, folks." You know what I mean? So it's kind of like <laughs> it, this show sort of turned into that. <laughs> There's no, we still do them. We did one last week or we didn't do one last week. Hey, do you still have the, the, whatever the hell you were going to do from last week? The, Oh, Dr. Clock's time. Glorious mind scrabula. Yeah. If you still have those I, questions, man, we could do that at any yeah. time here in this mystery episode. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have so many. That's the thing is about the mind scrabula is uh, I may have asked some of these before, but the answers are going to be different every time. Oh, we'll see. Um, yeah. I feel pretty consistently about things throughout the years. No, I, I know, I know you do, but uh, yeah, some of them, uh, yeah, some of them might, might some of well, them I'm, might surprise you. I'm out of preset <laughs> topics other than previewing future future uh, episodes, so I say well, let it rip. <clears throat> uh, real quick though, um, yeah. so um, this is a real niche thing, uh, it, and and completely the dumb thing, but I wanted to get your opinion on it. Uh, ah. So I finally saw Meet the Fablemans. Ah. Um, and I enjoyed it. It, you know, I, I wasn't expecting it to be two films. Um, cause it, it really, you know, and, and I, I liked the first film much better than the second film. Sure. Um, that the second half, um, second half seemed a little bit more like an after school special. Um, but the, uh, the, the very last moment, the very last moment, the very, very last moment he's had this, he's had the, uh, you know, our hero, um, Sam has had this uh, once in a lifetime opportunity to meet John Ford. John Ford gives him the advice. Horizon at the top of the screen. Interesting. Horizon at the bottom of the screen. Interesting. Horizon in the middle of the screen is boring crap. as boring. shit. Yeah, boring <laughs> as shit. And then he leaves and he has this, you know, moment of like, 
uh, you know, where everything's going to be all right. Our, our, our hero's journey truly begins okay. now. How could, and, a, and, how could a Spielberg movie end any other way than yeah, yeah. that? But that cute little camera move of moving the horizon down to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. It, oh, it feels like no, too that's, cute by half. No, uh, look, the more you know, I, I'll. You're not wrong, but the, yeah. the thing that the thing about Fablemans, it is a good movie. The reason it's yeah, not yeah, yeah, being yeah. the reason it's not being perceived as a great movie is it's 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 the ways in which it really really works are in these very personal ways that require you coming to it with a knowledge of two things a, a deep knowledge of two things one the biography that plays out in front of your eyes he he didn't embellish stuff or really make anything up the after school special as you say those relationships yeah. really happened those incidents really happened those films were really made in that way they actually exist mm -hmm. um it 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 you know they they've been dramatized to protect the innocent in the in the fablements but you know all that's real and as a because it's real biography it's very very episodic and very sort of tonally different like your life is it's not a consistent journey really at all mm -hmm. Um, but there's, you, if you really understand him, you can feel the truth in it. You can feel the whole movie. And this is why the movie, it, why I think it's really wonderful. And this is just me making my case for it. You know, you go back and you think about the single moms, the put upon single moms in the early Spielberg films and E.T. most specifically, but in Close Encounters, and there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how the dad is absent and how the dad's absence and whatever they reaching out through time that they do, whatever little they do, whatever news reaches our heroes from them being afar is always hurtful and devastating. And those things in his art are very real things. Of, they're very real, like him dealing with his life. And... That's in his early life. In his later adult life, as he grew up, partly just as he grew up and, and understand that it was there was nuanced things going on and different many different things going on he didn't understand. The other thing that was going on that he really didn't understand was that his father, who he felt abandoned by, was putting a brave face on everything that was happening in order to protect his mother's reputation in the eyes of his kids. And the film shows you that. And it shows a kid not accepting that. And that, that is a devastating thing to watch play out on screen. It really is to me. Even just talking about it, I get really, really worked up. So it's an artist, one of the most renowned artists of his time here at the end of his filmmaking career... You know, I think he'll go on making a bunch of movies, but this was, you know, West Side Story was what movie, what movie do you want to make before it's too late? You know, what movie do you want yeah. to get in while they're still pulling the Brinks truck up into your office and dumping a bunch of money on you? Like, which, right. which what is it? That was it. <clears throat> right. Yeah. What movie do you, are you compelled to make 
before you can't make movies anymore before, is, yeah. is the Fablemans. And it's because all that drama and, and, and I can say it's not enough. You don't have to just go read the, the autobiography or watch the excellent, uh, I believe HBO max, uh, documentary, which is fantastic. Yeah. 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 yeah it's so good. It's very good. Yeah. Um, or just watch all the, there, he's, he's a guy who doesn't do commentaries where he talks over movies, but he's, he loves talking about his movies. So they, there's tons of great stuff about really all his key films out there to read and to watch. And so that that's the art side of it. And then there's the personal side of it. But the, the thing that the movie shows you is that it's, it's, it's not, those aren't the sides. Those, those are this, they're, they're very much together and messy. And the Fablemans is very much, together and messy reckoning that a person's coming to with his relationships and his biography and the redemption of his father played by Paul Dano brilliantly. Yeah. Is is and his effort to do that while still being honest. Mm -hmm. It's just, I just found it incredibly powerful, but like I said, I come to it with this, well, I'm analyzing the themes of all these films deeply and forever, and I'd never stop. And and his being, him having delivered some of my favorite films ever, like, I just, I'm deeply into what he does as a storyteller and yeah, yeah. And, and who he is as a person. And I, we talked about it on the show. When we, when we talked about this in the year in review thing a few years back, I said, it's weird. It's a weird relationship. It's weird and almost distressing to me how much Spielberg and his stories mean to me and how little I mean specifically to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. It's, it, 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 it's right. like, it bothers and me. He, and he has that relationship with, uh, with like, with so many, you know, with uh, millions, millions of people. Um, his, yeah, his, exactly. Oh. And, and, and it's just, and it, it's, and, and I think he knows that, but I think, you know, he's an individual, the us, the audience are still the audience though. It's, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he'll do an interview or whatever, he'll do this or that, but he, he doesn't in his life, he doesn't just gear up to meet the fans and he, he's, maybe he did at one point, but he really doesn't do that anymore. And so, mm -hmm. so it's, it, it's tricky and weird, but I, I think I just, so, I, I have so a, I, very I personal reaction to him again, maybe not this or that, maybe not Jurassic Park or something, but him, his style and his sort of the things that the, the story that he retells through time. I have a very visceral reaction to that and watching mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. being played out with his biography in it is so I really do think is wonderful. So then at the very end of the movie, when the, the frame nudges up like that, that's 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 Spielberg inserting himself into the story directly. Right. And and you and and, and uh, to me, I was like, I, I, I just I, it, it's not like I went, oh, my God, I can't believe that it was just like. I just like if he meets John Ford in the middle of the movie and then that happens at the end after he's done having a heart to heart with his mom or something like no thank uh, you but it the that whole the ending fact that scene it's literally is, it's just this is literally this is literally the 
uh, the denouement. We've already had yeah. the climax of everything. Everything's yeah. already had. This is literally just our. And it's let's get it's you know, almost yeah. sketch so. comedy in its delivery. So I, to me, he's yeah. You know, the ends of Spielberg movies. We could just talk about the endings. <laughs> Oh, that might be, a and I didn't show. mean just the endings, but like just the yeah. very endings. You know what I mean? I feel like they're better yeah. discussed in the context of the films. But go mm -hmm. back and listen to us talk about the very ending of of the Terminal and the very ending of War of the Worlds, like the the very endings. You know what I mean? They come up in that that little suite of films that we did of his. Yeah, yeah. It's all there for you to hear, and 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 this is another one where it's yeah I get why it's a huh like it's a well we need to talk about this, but I it it's again it it's just like the rest of Fablemans it comes at the end of this long line of stories that he shared with us and it just makes perfect sense and should be there he he from behind the camera he really does deserve a moment like that and it is set up great it's not one of those what it, it, you know what i mean it really is set mm -hmm. up great that final yeah. scene with uh not just david lynch which is amazing but the i mean it's so entertaining but um was it greg grunberg yeah who plays the uh, the the tv guy yeah the whole thing is this it's neat it's a great place yeah. to end yeah. it and i i absolutely <laughs> Absolutely, like the horizon changing in the final shot. Yeah, no okay. question. Yeah, it was. I, I just, I, yeah, I, I was watching it and I was just like, huh, okay. Because right, well. when I watch Fablemans, I just, I, I feel him there the whole time. It really isn't a story that I got lost in. It's a, it's a thing where I was aware yeah, that's that, a the, good... that the filmmaker that's... is showing you his life oh, in God, all yeah, the that's... ways he can, in, a, in the most oh, honest way he can. Yeah. And you I know, think the film a, feels that way, and I love it for that. That's really, that's really, uh, that's really an astute observation. I like that because I, I think maybe that's that was part of it too. Is yeah, you you know, uh, you're watching it knowing that this, you know, you're watching Steven Spielberg's life story, and it feels like, it feels like there's there's an element of it almost feels like he's sitting over here watching you watch his his. <laughs> yeah totally story um so totally they uh, the common thing because he yeah. sort of brought it to them and he he treated it yeah. with the actors and stuff like and the designers like it was any other movie essentially mm -hmm. you know that there's no real other way to do it i don't think he stuck with his the meth his time-honored method of filmmaking um but the the performers it became a running gag they would come up to him after some particularly strange thing and be like did this really happen and and um, Michelle Williams said the answer every time I asked him the answer was always yes, just like this. This mm -hmm. all happened, you know. But he wouldn't say he didn't come out and make the big. This all happened, and it's my life speech. Like he was really coy about making it because I think yeah. he's really really insecure about the stuff that's there. And I, well, yeah, it's, I think that's um, a. I mean, I, I think that's was a, always going to be very misunderstood film. But I really do think it, you know, even though people weren't wowed by it in a triumph of the human spirit sort of way, because it is not that kind of story. It's clumsy yep. and weird and goofy like his life was. And I just I just feel like even the corny parts, even the like you say, the big graduation dance or whatever, mm -hmm. like it, 
it that's a filmmaker making a movie about this thing that he's not gotten over and hasn't been able to deal with his whole life. Yeah, to me, so to me, like, okay, this the way the last moment is Spielberg inserting me in the, the the to me the moment that I absolutely loved where it was Spielberg, uh, you know, kind of inserting himself a little bit was. I, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it, but there's this very climactic conversation uh, between uh, between a school, you know, one of uh, his school um, fellow students and and Sammy and and the guys like, don't you ever, you know, I don't you know, don't ever talk about this. You know, I, I you know, don't tell anyone that we ever had this conversation. And, and he goes, unless I make a movie about it. You know, kind of like, eh, like uh, uh, trying trying to be funny and lighten every, you know, like, uh, <laughs> right, right, hey, buddy, you know, and it was like, and I loved that because here he is making a movie about that, um, and that, you know, and I, it's like that's I, I loved him inserting himself in that little moment, and and so the, the how it felt that I don't know, yeah, uh, and you know, just it's just me, I was just really curious, and I was curious as to I was I wanted I remember watching it, and after the little nudge of the horizon happened, I was like, hi, I want to ask Brian about that. <laughs> so, I well, and company. here we are. It's the second movie that uh, Seth Rogen is really really good in. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so interesting. It, it earns its existence just really on that alone. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, now, it's... now there's not just the one movie. There's two. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's two. It's not a lot because he so, makes a lot of movies, but yeah, and, it's a pattern. The... It's a pattern now, and I, I really do think that's significant because mm -hmm. he's. And, really is good in it. He feels very like he's very Seth Rogeny in it. Like he's really well cast in it as this sort of go looky whatever guy. But his uh, hit that character not succumbing to the melodrama of the moments he's involved in, the meaningful moments he's involved in, the way he keeps the facade up all the time, even when he's saying some of the most important stuff in the film. That scene yeah. on the sidewalk with the camera or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, mm -hmm is good that's a good performance that's a great take on how he yeah. would do it and it's it yeah. wouldn't be oh, now listen kid you know it wouldn't be the inspirational speech it would be look i don't know but yeah. like you know he, he a guy who who has like betrayal written all over him and yet just manages to maintain the party line of his life like it's a very very good performance and i really yeah. really dig it that too so obviously michelle williams is stunning uh the young woman who plays his sister is fantastic um the 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 it's more than one kid right that plays sam in it there i mean it, yeah i mean yeah they i mean the, mostly one kid, the yeah. mostly the yeah and but the even even young young sam is uh is very good and it's um, it's not there will be blood, you know, histrionics, but it's as good as you'll ever see Paul Dano in anything, you know. He's, Paul Dano, yeah, and he's so good, but he's so he's like he, there's a group of these guys of his age, Joaquin Phoenix, and he's so they're also they're also way out there that when when they sort of settle in to a person, mm -hmm. it's a, a wonder to behold, you know. And I I yeah. I, I sort of love that it, about it. It really, yeah the the way. Um, uh, and I can't remember uh, Paul, the character name, but the way Paul Dano as uh, as Mr. Fableman, uh, the way he looks at Michelle Williams 
whenever she's doing anything. It is just with a look of absolute love and devotion that he knows isn't being reciprocated at that level. And like you see it and it's just all right there. And you feel and it, it is every, not every stated, and it, it just like it stated ever, just like it was just, for young Sam. It wasn't stated; they didn't talk about it, and so, so he forgot about it, or or ignored it, or whatever, or let let mm-hmm. the pain of it falling apart fester within him to the point that it, to the point that he was calling his dad out in his own great works constantly, and now here he is showing that every chance the film has and like i said that absolutely melts my heart and makes just it's just an amazing thing but it is a thing like the horizon line it is a thing that's very much kind of up here somewhat outside of the story itself Mm -hmm. but i i that's why i loved it that's my defense of it it was one of my favorite films of last year because yeah because i do sort of see why it why it even though I don't, I don't know anyone who hates it. I do see why it missed its mark somewhat, but mm-hmm. I think by, it, by necessary, by necessity, it was always going to do that. I think it was the only way to be really as honest as he could be within his within his art. You know, but yeah. I, now I'm just saying the same thing different ways over and over. Yeah, again, so. and 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 it is important to note, like uh, Spielberg working with Tony Kushner, so this material in the hands of a lesser writer could have gotten off the rails these characters in the hands of lesser uh, of lesser actors uh could have gone off the rails so it really was um you know a a a, a wonderful collaboration that you know to, to to elevate this story from just um because you like you said it some of the elements are absolutely kind of like I mean, there's a monkey that comes into it, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that happened, and, and, <laughs> and like, and and you and you're like, what? And it's like, yeah, the, and but it works. It still works because it is handled in this very. Uh, the these characters are so well developed, it, and, it, and yeah, right. But it has all the cheesy melodrama and all the heightened emotion of a Spielberg film. That's in all of them all. Yeah, yeah. So it 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 doesn't sidestep any of that, like and just make some some understated statement. It's not doing that at all. It's very it's very easy to roll with the emotional punches throughout the film because hitting the right emotional notes is something he just does instinctively. But it also does feel like a bit of a show. But it but it all does. Even even the best films, even Schindler's List, has its moments where you're like that are just so intentionally ironic and you just kind of, I just kind of sigh at them. Like this could have been, you know, this, this could have just been left alone to be what it was without the, all the extra shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say that there's a moment like that in every one of his films and multiple moments. And there's a handful of them in this one, but that's, that's, I mean, that's his, that's you just, you have to kind of be down with that because you can't, you can't make the guy take that away and then expect him to, to be great in all the ways you like either. Like it's, yeah, it's all tied together. And I, I, so I'm glad it's a good, it's a great question because it brought up interesting discussion. And it turns out I had a lot more to say about Fableman's than I kind of got to in my little right, right. one, yeah. one fifth of the show thing from weeks. Cause it, 
And and because I think more people have seen it now, I think I was one of the first people to see it, at least at home. Um, there's more discussion out there about it. And there's more basically sort of, a lot of people are greeting that film with a shrug. And I, I, I don't think that's invalid. I sympathize with that. But mm -hmm. I, but I adored it's, it because. Oh yeah, no, it's lovely. I mean, it really is a lovely film. Um, it's, and I'll it's, just say again, a similar film by a very different kind of filmmaker, but a very same sort of project that I really adored is James Gray's Armageddon time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kind of put them together when we reviewed them, but that's the same thing. That's a, that's a guy. Now this is a different kind of filmmaker. Gray reminds me of an American John Borman who made deliverance and mm -hmm. Excalibur and Emerald forest and, uh, Zardoz, Joel's, Joel's favorite. Um, Zardoz, Zardoz, but, <laughs> but Borman and, uh, pro, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of films. Anyway, a, a really renowned guy. And he basically made, just like Hemingway sort of wrote the same novel over and over again. Sorry, I just wanted to get some Zardoz. No, I get it. Even with Zardoz, it, Borman basically made the same story over and over and over again. He just mm -hmm. said it someplace different, did it slightly different. Um, there are artists that are like that. The writer directors, you know, that, that, that their approach, like you really do feel it. So Spielberg has a lot of variety, but James Gray Ad Astra Z, uh, Z for, or Zed, I guess it would be, but, um, lost city of Z, sorry. Um, the immigrant, uh, we own the night. He, he um, He's basically the same. He he he's grapples with these same things in all of his films, and and one of them takes place, you know, in in the eighteen nineties, and one of them takes place in the outer space, and one of them takes place in you know, uh, equatorial Brazil mm -hmm. or whatever. And they are all stories of obsession, and they're all stories of coping between generations, and they're great. Uh, I don't love them all, but they're really really good. And the last two, Lost City of Z and at Astra, if you really want to dig deep into some tough stuff that looks amazing and is, <laughs> you know, it really incredibly yeah, yeah. well done. Um, the, I can't recommend those enough. Like he's really getting hot right now. And he seems a little young compared to Spielberg to look back on his childhood. Although Armageddon time isn't a from childhood to adult story. It's very much a, a year in the life of a child of him as a child. Um, it's tough. There's abuse in it. The character doesn't always act the way you want. You know, it really is a guy who's judging himself for some of the things that he wished he'd done differently, even as a child. That's interesting, though, to me. The father, mm -hmm. as you would expect from a James Gray film, the father-son relationship and the thing is really... It it the father's not a, the father's not a monster except when he is, and he's not a wise sage except when he is. He's this mm -hmm. really complicated and very very understandably angry person. The film understands why this guy is the way he is. That understanding to me when I was watching the film is cathartic. Um, and just really interesting, different kind of performances by people on the periphery. Uh, Anne Hathaway, Anthony Hopkins, like it's just, just them doing a different kind of movie. Um, 
and I it's another one where it's it doesn't end with a fun scene with a director hero cameo and a and a clever little wink at the camera. It ends in a really dark place. It's a dark episode from this guy's life. Mm-hmm. But I also very much felt the truth and complexity in it. You know, he what he was asked, well, what would your dad think if he saw this movie? And he goes, well, I hate to say it, but I I'm glad that my dad's gone so that he couldn't see the movie, because I I I don't and I don't know that I could make it if he was here. Even though I don't think, like that's not a oh you know now he's gone and I can finally dish the dirt on him. It's just not that kind of thing. It's <laughs> yeah. that feeling of you. How do you? You walk into a room with your dad and you're at odds about something and how does that go? How, how do you even start that? Or or you're not at odds about something. You're giving some tribute to him that shows the hardships that are also there. How do you do that? You know, It's very much a 19, like sort of late 50s, early 60s tale. You know, and child rearing during that time was a whole different, a whole different thing. It, it's... And I just, I really, really dig it. There's this weird subplot about this sort of semi-street urchin kid that he befriends and stuff and that he sort of denies, you know, in a in like a uh, uh, apostle biblical sort of way in a really key moment. Um, it's I, Armageddon Time, that's another one where I, it didn't, didn't get nominated for a bunch of Oscars, you know, I probably wasn't gonna, but it, it really is that, those films that live in that, they're not the big streaming hits, and they're certainly not the things you feel you have to get out to theaters to see. I really think magic of storytelling, it's all happening in those types of projects. And, yeah. and, and there's a whole bunch of them we talked about. There were a lot of them, the whale of women talking where that really did sort of get their moment in the sun. Fableman's oddly, I mean, it got some Oscar love, but it didn't get any Oscar love. And it just, and that was because of Spielberg. Armageddon time got nothing because Hollywood doesn't know James Gray anything. Right. He's, right. he's as counter Hollywood as you could possibly be as a film director. <laughs> I mean, he's right. not against them, but he's, you know, even at Asherah, even he the big space yeah. adventure is like just constantly, constantly pushing the boundaries of what something like that could possibly be while still trying to justify its budget by, by entertaining you and wowing you. It's mm-hmm. fun to watch that struggle in all of his work. I, 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 I didn't know what I felt like about him for a while, but I know now after these last three films that he's a guy that I really, really like and can't wait for the next thing. Even though Very it's cool. going to be yeah. the same thing as all the other things, or maybe not. Yeah, he's got a he's got a movie uh, that he's working on here. Um, it'll give me. Let's see, and it is called uh, James Gray director. It is called. I just added. I was looking at it. It is called I Am Pilgrim. Sounds good. A former spy is called up out of retirement to assist in an unusual investigation, probably regarding his father. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, find, we'll find out. <laughs> That's funny. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Uh, sign me up. Sign me yep. up. Yep. We'll be there. All right, time scrabula. It's your turn. All right, here we go. Let's, uh, let's go a little. Uh, let's see if Ryan, if Ryan doesn't hate me after a little bit of Dr. Glock's time glorious mind scrabula. Gonna go back in time. It was a gold mine. 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 Gold mine.
back in time. Gonna go back in time. I'm gonna step back in time and fix it. There we go. Um, all right. Any um so here's one that's kind of uh pandemic related, uh, you know, and and about any movie. I like thought we were done with that. Bad, uh, old Pandini. Um, the, I don't know how many uh, times I've heard that. Everybody I know, practically, everyone I work with, everyone I was doing the play with, we all got COVID just in the last couple months. Mm-hmm. And 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 when I tell people, or when I tell people when I had it, they're like, "Well, I thought that was over." It's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. I we yeah. want it to be over, but let's come on. That's so oh, silly. Yeah, I mean, let's. Yeah, I anyway. like. I remember that was the thing that came out just a couple months into it. I am so over this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that's not going to stop it, is right. it? You right. person who I don't esteem greatly. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's just. I'm going to have a COVID party so I can just get it and get it done. Away, done well. with. There's, there's, uh, although that worked out horribly for people resulting in people's deaths, but I, that I halfway understand, like, I don't want to sit here and be fearful of this and I can't commit to this, this isolation. I can't, I I really do get some people are like that. So let's do it and get it over with, you know, once the shots came out, I, even then I could really, then I really got it, but but yeah. before that, Jesus, you know, there was mm-hmm. a, there's this, uh, not to bring the time scrabula totally down into the just darkness of reality, that's, but there was hey, a couple really, in Europe, you know, Cox where lives. the father yeah. and the child both got COVID and she exposed herself deliberately so they could just, you know, get over it. And she ended up dying. And that's, that is as tragic and harsh a thing as you're ever going to hear. And that, those stories of COVID are still very real. They were still refrigerated um, you know, semi trucks parked outside of hospitals because they didn't have enough room for the bodies in the morgue. People who mm-hmm. treat that like it was all just something we were imagining or something we overreacted to suck yeah. because it it it. I don't know that our reaction in the end made a lot of sense, but I know that given the information that we had, it was really the best we could do, and it absolutely right. saved people's lives. It saved mothers and daughters and fathers and sons' lives. Mm-hmm. And it so it can't be all bad. And though I don't yearn for those days to come back, right? I I don't. I I'm like not. Yeah, not a conversation for for our show here. Um, but as someone who works in the disability community, um, this this mass disabling event, um, <laughs> is is fascinating to see how people are reacting. Uh, to our crappy healthcare system and et cetera in this country. Yeah, something that, that people with real medical issues and real real problems like are already know, like are, mm-hmm. we, as a society, we needed to be confronted with that. And of course, uh, the one good thing that's come out of it, or maybe it's good, it's ongoing, but it has fundamentally changed the American workforce for the better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, truly, like it, People just are like, oh, yeah, they're tr- Yeah, they're trying, you know, yeah, big business is trying. They're trying to figure out they're trying to spin it so that they can somehow convince people that uh, 
you know, they they'll they'll blame they'll blame kids, they'll blame different uh, nationalities, they'll blame abilities, they'll do whatever. But they got to try to because they need like, how do we get people to be thrilled with only getting paid a crappy little amount of money again? <laughs> yeah, working their ass um, off or nothing. We want to yep. go back to those days. Yeah, no kidding, yep. no doubt. Um, and anyway, anyway, Joel, just as an aside, before we really dive into some time traveling, on that note. <laughs> it's always just between you and me and everyone listening. It's always a good time to bring up people who deal struggle with disabilities and stuff like that. This is, just, yeah. I, I know we don't make that a main topic of our discussion and there are lots of places you can go that a lot, a lot of things, a lot of projects that Joel's involved with where you can engage on that in a really meaningful way, in a very personal yeah. way. But there's always a little room for it here uh, from, uh, from my perspective, just so you know. Yeah. Um, it's a safe space for that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think. Uh, yeah. That that may end up being a, uh, a topic of a show I bring up uh, at some point. Um, cool. Is how we how we talk about these things in movies. Uh, anyway, Doctor Clock is really uh, is is really getting mad at me now here for not. Uh, He's like, "What are you guys on... getting all deep for?" <laughs> uh, so, but uh, you know, uh, what I was going to ask is time is. Um, Throughout this, the last few years, are there any movies that you wish you could tell yourself, no, no, find a way, go see this in the theater? You know, a Tenet was the first one that was like, we're going to only release in the theater and make people come out and see. Like, it was the number one else. movie in America for four months, even though it didn't really make a lot of money. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah, like, well. It was a it weird. Say that. It was a weird time, and and uh, filmmaker there, was a little frustrated. But I yep. think Warner made a good call with Tenant. Tenant's weird, and it's difficult yeah. to wrap your brain around when you're watching it. And even though it's a big, it's everything you could want from like a big, uh, sort of sci-fi uh, action spy movie, which is basically it's a hybrid of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think it's it. I don't think it's particularly difficult to unwire. It's, it reminds me of Memento in that way, where yeah. you don't know what you're going through as you're experiencing it, but once you've seen it, you, you get what happens. I think you should anyway. Um, yeah. And when you watch it again, you watch it in a whole different way. And, of course, Christopher Nolan, same kind of guy. I'm, I'm just I'm going off on a tangent, but it's, I just watched Tenet, and I think it's, it's fun mm -hmm. to kind of talk about watched it for the third time or whatever it, it Nolan's the same kind of guy where all his movies are about how we experience things, the weird different ways that filmmaking in particular, but writing storytelling, the weird, unbelievable ways in which we experience things can experience things differently through the magic of the imagination and how that affects us. Um, some are a little less. So Doug Kirk, the timing's all scrambled up, but that's yeah, not yeah. really a, a, but, but where our character ends, where our lead character ends in interstellar and what he's doing and where he is, is all about perception and the different, and you know, the prestige, the, the magic trick as a, as a metaphor for uh, filmmaking um, mm -hmm. inception, probably the, that's probably the biggest one where er everything is about how we perceive things and that sort of, the unique difference that comes from that. Chris Nolan's a guy mm -hmm. who from the get-go, from his very first film, is, is like Borman. He, it, for a big blockbuster filmmaker, he's telling the same story over and over and over again to some mm -hmm. degree. He's obsessed with this 
idea and that idea yeah. is the engine that drives each and every one of these movies and tenant uh tenant doesn't have the the it doesn't have the like we were arguing if tenant or interstellar was better me and a buddy of mine and i'm like oh interstellar's better i mean i really like tenant tenant feeds my intellect and it excites me and i get really really involved in because the ideas and the just how they pulled it off visually is amazing but interstellar has the little girl mad at her daddy and stuff it has these emotional pegs that are universal and that work on your heart and that makes the science which is completely speculative and sort of bonkers work because it has all that um, incredible emotional stuff in it the time dead mm -hmm. you know tenant it has it's got an abusive relationship in it that i think you, if you care you get a little involved in it's got a, a, a couple of buddies finding their self in reverse order of how history takes place that's interesting to me yeah you yeah, know what yeah. i mean but it doesn't have the it doesn't have that it doesn't have that little girl c c screaming for her father not to leave her i mean that that just rips me up every time yeah I see it. It. yeah there's and, there's uh, nothing like that in tenet there's nothing like that in the prestige which mm -hmm. i love there's not much like that even in like the batman films and stuff it that's to me that's the thing in interstellar that all kind of sets it apart from just about all of these we yeah, yeah. all have a common emotional connection to that. So Joel, True. you, you were about but, time yeah, scrambling. was about I, I to just, ask a question before I went yeah, off. The, on Christopher and, 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 no, no, that's great. Uh, but I was just going to, you know, uh, cause I like, I remember, and, and we brought up Rob before Rob was one who was like, no, no, I want to see tenant in the theater. And right. so he, and he did, ha he essentially has Matt suited up <laughs> and went in there and, and watched it in the theater and was like, Oh my God, it was a great, you know, it was amazing. Now that, you know, we're looking back and we've had like this whole slew of movies and, and some of them have were some of them just delayed until uh, they felt it was safe to go back. Yeah, to the we're, theaters, we're, like, break and we're stuff. beyond that. And we're back into mm -hmm. the regular sort of cycle. Although that cycle has been is, greatly diminished because yep. we're only, theaters really are only giving you must see in the theaters and not only but really uh, almost compared to before only mm -hmm. giving you this kind of yeah there isn't that you know you go over to the west end here and there's you know it's 10 screens or whatever and yeah most of them have the big films on it whereas the theaters like the one down in Eden prairie where there's 20 screens and they had literally every single film and release even if it was a teeny tiny little thing that they knew no yeah, one yeah. was going to come to you know all of it was there we've gone through several award seasons and the Fablemans is a perfect example. Here's a film that was out. It was in theaters, but it was out for four weeks. It went to streaming four weeks later. Um, mm -hmm. Streaming being not streaming, not being I can now I can watch Fablemans on Netflix, but streaming yeah. meaning now I can pay twenty nine dollars to watch yep. to watch Fablemans at home. Yeah, because that money, that old people movie money. <laughs> Where that, to a yep. lot of people, that's a night out at the movies. It's, I yep. mean, to me, it's like, uh, I'm not spending 20 bucks or $29 on a film that I'm going to be able to watch reasonably for whatever my subscription costs in a few weeks. Right. Um, I, I can't just can't afford to do that, but a lot of people can, a lot of people are like, well, like it wouldn't be any cheaper if we went down there and, you know, bought up Snickers or whatever at the theater. I mean, yeah. it's just. 
the economics of it make some sense. And those films, their very existence relies on people willing to pay those premium prices in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that, that little window where it's pay-per-view before yeah. it's streaming and after it's had a limited theater run. So, yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, no, having gone through all of this, and Noah's a perfectly acceptable answer. Is there any movie that you like, like that you've seen um, over the last just couple of years that you were like, um, damn, I wish I could have seen that in the theater on the big screen. Um, like, like take COVID out of it. Um, like all things being, you know, if, if all things were pre COVID and, and everything, you know, and you were like, yeah, I just didn't go see it in the theater. Is there anything you were like, damn, should have gone and see that. Should have should have went and saw that on the big screen. There Anything? really isn't for me. I mean, I mm-hmm. I watched Avatar: uh, Way of the Water a couple of weeks ago, and and never once was I sitting here going, oh, I should have saw this on the big screen. And I mean, and it's yeah. it's as big screeny, it's as accomplished a big screen audiovisual thing as has existed. Yeah for some time. And so it, it, it is designed to work on you properly in that setting, but I'm, you know, the movie, and I haven't seen a movie in the theater since Captain Marvel. So pre COVID I've not been back to yeah. the theater for any reason. And, but that's not because of COVID. <laughs> yeah. That's no, because I, I... that's because I hate the theater. Cause I hate other people and I don't hate all the other people. <laughs> I love, we, I love, love 85% of the people who went to see avatar the night I went mm-hmm. to see it just as a example, but 10% of them, I, I hate being in their presence. They don't give a shit about anything or anyone. Mm-hmm. And I just hate that. And I don't want to experience that because I, when I, when I go to the movies, I, I have too I bring too many expectations with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. ways to mitigate the other people. There are times to go see stuff. Like when I was going to see the star Wars movies, when they first opened, you know, I would go opening night or I would go the next night and I would go like at 10. Like I would go at times when only super fans would be tripping over themselves to see it because then at least I'd be surrounded by mostly, not entirely, but by mostly people who really would be into it and would care about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, when I go see, because the movie that's going to get me back into the theater, if you're curious, Mind Scrabby. Yeah, love. very much so. Very much so. Uh, will definitely be Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I am pre-signed up for that. Uh, can't wait for it. Perhaps yeah. we're kidding ourselves like we did a little bit with the last Indiana Jones movie, but I don't feel like we are. I feel like this is going to be a whole other kind of thing that is still also the same kind of thing. And if they can pull off that little magic trick and send that... What I think is still, even even at its worst moments, is still a really good series of, of serials, of films, of a great character. Mm-hmm. I will be so grateful and so ecstatic. So I will, I'm June 30th, 29th, I'm sure it will actually be, yeah. but I'll, I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah, that's, there. that's. Uh, so yeah, there are be... ones, but that's a, like, I can't wait a month to see the new Indiana Jones movie. It really has less to do with the, the, the big screen as you say yeah it's as as it has to do with i have to you know and this is how i think the the big films work the marvel movies and stuff i don't think it's like oh you know ant ant mania or whatever is so much better on the big screen it probably is because Mm -hmm. because those films on the small screen like black 
pan like Wakanda Forever is a really good example. Um, <clears throat> they're compared to something like Avatar. They're really compared to something like Avatar. They're really crappily made films. Compared right. to other films of their ilk, they're right in there in the running, and their charms. They have other charms that sort of get them to the finish line, but. It makes a difference whether if you sitting there watching like the big weird battle at the end of Wakanda Forever on that weird ship that doesn't make any sense and stuff. And if you're in the theater and you really are overwhelmed sensually, you know, in a sensorial sort of way, it helps. It helps sell everything that isn't quite working on the screen the way it should in a, in a great way. Right. Um. So it helps. Absolutely. When you watch that on the small screen, the things that are small about it really jump out at you, mm-hmm. and your your and then your choice as well. You know, am I going to sit here? Am I going to quit? Go online and complain about every little thing, or am I going to just take this for what it is? I try yeah. really hard to do the latter. I have a podcast yeah. though, where if I really want to rant about something, I kind of can. <laughs> um, so that helps. That helps me yeah. get it out of my system and go on with my life, Joel. But yeah, that, I, so that's a lo- super long way of answering. Oh, is there one I wish? I'm trying to think of one, and I'm sure there is one that would have yeah. been better in the theater. A lot of things are. Look, Banshees of Inisherin, if you could see it with a group of like-minded people, would have been better in the theater. Right. Movies are purely manipulative things. They they Very few of them. We talked about a couple in the show that are a little outside of this, but very few of them require anything of you except to show up. Just show up. Yeah. And we'll do all the work for you. That's the great thing about them, honestly. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know when you're supposed to feel mad. We'll let you know when you're supposed yep. to feel sad. I mean, if they, 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 they're not an interactive experience. where the inter- With you and the filmmaker, they just aren't. Where the interaction happens is with you and the people surrounding you. And even if it's not a laugh out loud movie, comedy certainly works better in the theater. And there's no comedy that needs the big screen to work. It works because laughter and irreverence is infectious. And when you're surrounded by people, it just is better. It's funnier. Um, Like the old lady who I watched Pearl Harbor with. It was better because she was there. Yep. Um, it really was. It made Pearl Harbor like a lot better. She was into it. And then I was forced to at least politely endure it as a result. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. I had, I got my couple of wisecracks in to my, to my friend, but, but that's it. I mean, otherwise I, I can't just, I can't blow this off if she's all like, you know, yeah. So yeah. other people are the thing. I, I really think that. I I mean, my home theater setup's pretty good. Lots of people's are really, really good. It it does a lot of the work for you now. And mm-hmm. and the, that that I so I don't miss that, like you say, the big screen, because to me it's all about viewing angles. As a matter of fact, the coolest theater in, in Minneapolis, Joel, the Riverside. Yeah. Has the shittiest viewing angles of any theater that I've ever been in in my whole life outside of the really small screens like in the Harmar, maybe. Those were really bad. <laughs> right. Those right, were right. really bad. Those were like, yeah. it was like watching a movie in an airplane, truly. It was like three seats over there, two over here. The screen seems like it's, what, four and a half miles away? <laughs> yeah. You know, down this long, swooping well, tube yes, that you're trapped tube, in. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Terrible. 
just really awful. But <laughs> but even the Riverside, which is old fashioned big theater, has a very small stage and a very small screen. So if you're sitting up in the balcony getting ready to watch something, the last movie I saw there, and it's, so it's been a long time, but the last movie I saw there was The Artist, the silent movie with. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's shot like silent movies were black and white Academy ratio. So they've got the curtains cropping off half of their already really small screen. <laughs> and it's just yeah. this little teeny thing. That's like, ah, I can't, it's like, it's like, this. it's like so far away, <laughs> but it didn't, you know what I mean? Like it's just as bad. Mm-hmm. It's way worse than watching it at home in that case. And that's, it's all about the viewing angle. So blah, there's yeah. the science part. I probably I won't dwell on that. But the point is the artist was still an awesome theater experience. I went to see it. It's a memory that I have. I went to see it with my brother and my sister-in-law uh, back when they still wanted to be my friend. And, <laughs> and the, the audience reaction to the artist was delightful. It was so great to be in, a, in this big space full of these people yeah. reacting emotionally to that, to that movie, that idea. Um, that's a movie that just works. That's why it's one best picture. It's not because it, there's a lot of other gimmicky reasons it won, but it w- mostly just works on everybody that sees it. It, it works in some way. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's a magical thing to be a part of. So I miss being yeah. around other people. The problem is I just don't miss being around other people. Yeah. You know, and that, no, and it, I don't, and I, I don't see ever really embracing that. I see going to see, for me, going to see th- movies in the theater is absolutely, and it was already. So this COVID didn't change this really. Yeah. But no, I, I it solidified no. that it a movie I go to see in the theater is a special occasion. And if some dipshit is on his cell phone the whole time during Dial of Destiny, I mean, I'm going to get, I get murderous about it. And I just don't need to feel that either, honestly. Right. When you have that communal experience uh, with an audience, it it, it absolutely uh, what you said about it. It's not about the relationship between you and the movie uh, that, that is happening. It's between you and your your fellow audience members. I, I, uh, you know, not to turn this into that's uh, where there's the, give and take. That's yeah, where there's participation yeah. by you. Yeah. The movies, and keep, that's, you got to get up and take a leak. You want to go get a refill. The movie just goes right on without you. It just yep, doesn't yep. know you're there and doesn't care. Yep. But those other um, things are what make the magic, I think. And I think yeah, really not, good filmmakers know that. They know that, mm-hmm. that that's the case. Not to turn this into the theater show with with Joel and Ryan, but I mean that's that is that that exchange between uh what is what with what, what's going on with the story and the and the audience that happens a little bit more in in live theater uh I, it, it, to to the extent of just because we recently had Rob on the show again and and I remember even Rob uh, you know we told rob what we you know what's out there what to see and he mentioned the prom playing uh at the chanhassen theaters uh mm-hmm. here uh, went and saw that the other night and that is a perfect example of the energy that is created in the room by the 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 actors on stage uh and the the feeling of love and support in the audience and that exchange between each other and between what is going on on stage it papers over the cracks of what is really a, a, a just a badly assembled show the 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 show the prom is not good the production of the prom at Chanhassen is quite good. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. That's and, a distinction. And when we have our theater discussions, that's we, yeah, it, yeah. it comes up in film and TV too. 
but it really is but, a theater thing. Is is, is the show it, good? No. Is the production good? It's worth good. It, You have to mm-hmm. separate those two ideas and review mm-hmm. them both whenever you're engaging in a theater discussion. It's true. Right. And I, and I bring it up because the prom was made into a movie. Uh, and, um, and, and by all accounts, I haven't seen it. Cause I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not really interested. I'd rather see the, the show live, but people who have seen the movie, um, are like that, that is a steaming piece of crap. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And now I know what the show isn't very good. The songs are not well constructed. The lyrics are are really uh are are really like the the book and the lyrics sound like uh they were written by someone who like an eighth grader who was really into Dawson's Creek and <laughs> um and and so but but the Ugh. the beauty of the show and what the tr- show is is trying to say about inclusion and everything is is all really uh, wonderful and important and 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 so when you get that love and energy and exchange between going uh, going both ways in this case going both ways in this case it yeah I'm still like I still was getting a little choked up at the end at some of the 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 um at some of the moments and you know and and just still obviously just feeling the love in the room. Um, and, and and then but but I and I feel so I feel like, yeah, boy, I had a great night out of the theater seeing uh seeing a wonderful production of a dumb show. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, it, it, it's, so go see it. It's a great production. Just don't don't expect to be moved by the artistry of the hey, song. Or maybe you will. It appears um, that Rob does. And he's no dummy. He adore. I think he adored just about every detail of that show. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, yeah. it, it is. To be fair, I'm just saying it is sort of a mat. I'm not debating any of your finer mm-hmm. points. You saw it, and I kind of believe you. Uh, but it it tastes very, is all I'll say. Yeah. And so it, you you never you never know what 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 when we talk about this. How do we engage with critics? How do we engage with dis- post show discussion? Um, please don't do post show discussion. But you get what I'm saying. <laughs> How do we we yep. this show? And my brain lives in the aftermath of stuff, the analytical aftermath and the emotional memory world of entertainment. And how do we engage with those things? This is a perfect example where Joel gave you a review that whether you agree with Joel on the quality of prom, the the musical, you've been well informed and he's provided real clarity on what is happening there. And that's, I always say when you reach out to people or you're trying to figure mm-hmm. things out, a, a tomato score does nothing for you. It does nothing. Yeah. It yeah. absolutely does nothing. You, 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 it, the only way to get anything. I mean, the only way that these discussions after the fact mean anything at all is if they're discussions where we try and figure things out and mm-hmm. react to things. And I really do think, I don't think critics are just here to bash on, you know, the Fantastic Four reboot or whatever. That's that's part of the gig. <laughs> right. But it, we're all we're here to for the discussion to keep going, for the thing to live out here amongst us in a way. And so I, I'm just saying yeah. that's a review. That's the yeah. first one I've heard in a while where like, there you go. You got you know everything you need to know now. Even if you are a hundred percent the other way and think prom is a work of genius. Yeah. Joel's given you an honest review that where you can 
feel totally differently and still be well informed and make a good decision about whether it's something yeah. you want to go to or not. I do appreciate yeah. that. It's uh yeah, it's I mean, But separating I mean, the production from that's a big step. Yeah. And and asking what is the thing? Well, what is cocaine bear? Before you just what is, before you just get super it? cynical about it and rip on it, mm-hmm. what is it? Okay, did it do that? I mean, did it? Yes. I mean, then yeah. you know, then maybe okay, it's not for you, but maybe well, you just step aside and let the it's world like go what, on it's like what you, you for a bit. It's like what you said about Babylon. Uh, you, you know, it's <laughs> like you know, I, I Babylon because literally, like like I had like I said on the show, and and uh, and I believe we talked. I think we talked about it on the show. Uh, but it was like I, you know. One, one, the, the, this movie reviewer uh, on TikTok that I really, I really love her takes. I, and she, she crafts really great uh, opinions and in, in mm. like a two minute, you know, her two minute reviews of, of something is, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like how she talks about movies sure, sure. Um, and she loved Babylon. It was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and you hated Babylon. Another person hated. that I, <laughs> that I love and respect. And, and, and so I'm like, I got to watch it. I got to watch it now. And it's I not a film. Mean, I tell you yeah. not to watch, but it is a film where you're better. It is a film where the, where sending mm-hmm. out the feelers to the critics that you trust and admire, like it's a smart yeah. thing to do because yeah. it is a film where you're better off having being set up, not for the plot or anything or even the approach, but just to be set up that it, like she even said, people are going to love or hate this. Yeah. And and like I said, I hated it, but it's still a you love or hate it. Like it really is yeah. that. That's a, that has value to really yep. really hate something. Mm-hmm. You have and to it, you have to have loved something about it a bit to feel to that be, way. I mean, almost way, yeah. you know. So mm-hmm. and and like you said, I remember you saying the movie it's not crap. Is, I don't dismiss yeah. it. I'm not bored with it. I just really makes me mad, and I hate it. <laughs> right. That's so, still yeah. and that's still I still made me feel something. That's that's yeah. whatever, you know. And that's and that you know, and that that is that and that's a, a nuanced discussion. And that's um uh all right. So Dr. Clock, we talked about one question, but boy, I think we talked we answered many questions within that one question. <laughs> so I think uh Dr. Clock is gonna be very happy. Uh that's because we took a while happened. to get around to him. Does he have mm-hmm. anything else for us? No, no, I think uh I think Dr. Clock is good. I think think this show has come to its wonderful natural conclusion um uh we hope you enjoyed our ramble this you know what this is really uh maybe the closest um we've ever come on the podcast to just uh hey listener this is what it's like sitting in a room with ryan and i uh on like a thursday well night. yeah hopefully uh, that makes up for the less researched thing and the mm-hmm. hunting and pecking on the internet and the other things that that come when you're not really prepared um, because it is, this was fun. It's a fun discussion. We had, we talked about some fun things. This is going to go out to the world. I don't know with pride, but it's good. It's as good as anything. It's, I think these, you know, it, these little moments are as good as anything yep. this show has to offer. So it, I'm relieved uh, that it worked yeah, out. It, yeah. And, um, you know, obviously, yeah, we have, I mean, look, we have some big, uh, shows coming up. We're going to get into the Mad Max series. We, May um, is Mad Max month, baby. Yep. Mad uh, Max May. You haven't seen Michael on the show for a while. He's yep, been, he's us. been making his own movies and stuff. So he's been a busy fellow and we've been, mm-hmm. we've been spending months <laughs> yeah. reviewing last year's movie. So, you know, 
it'll be great to have him and that energy and that sort of nerddom circle put, you know, reconnected. And Mad Max are really, really, all of them are really, really extraordinary films. So they're, you know, we, we treat them like the sort of weird things that they are or the action figure things. There's all these different sides to them. But as visual entertainments, Mm-hmm. mega accomplished and will it'll be fun to get into that side of things yeah um so and that's that will be the month of may we're gonna do the, the three original films and give them each a show on their own yeah it's gonna be fun um so that's coming up uh obviously um you know if there's anything that we talked about that you are just like i have an opinion on that please reach out to us at the movie show with joel and ryan page on facebook uh and on instagram and tiktok and etc and you can always email us at ask and ryan at gmail.com um but uh boy it was uh, sure great for you to join us always great to talk to you by my friend ryan hey great talking to you bud bye everybody Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.